If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, no. We've got an audio issue. No, we've got an introduction issue. Parky, uh, you keep got loads of, <laughs> We've got loads of questions already, some good ones. Amazing. Right, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to mute you all so uh, we can't hear you. There you go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this. It is Pilot Episodes, the podcast for the infrequent flyer, which appears in your feeds infrequently. Anyway, uh, today is the 75th anniversary of, of D-Day, but before we get talking about any of that, why don't we go and meet our three... What, what, what are we going to call you this week? Air. No. Idiots. No, no, actually. Yes, air hosts, because, you know, you fly <laughs> and you're hosting this. Our three air yes, hosts. there you go. Uh... Duncan, how are you, mate? Well, do you know what? I am better because uh, what happened to me this evening was that uh, I've been decorating all day. But right at the end of the day, I could hear the sound of a Merlin and a it, it was quite high. So I couldn't tell if it was a Mark II or Mark V. A Spitfire flew past over the house, oh. heading northeast back towards Coningsby. Can so that cheered me right up. Do, do you know what? I actually thought you were referring to the helicopter for a second then. It's like, oh, no, a Merlin? Not a chance. Ah. Not a chance. Um, can, I, can I jump in, JB, and say that uh, Dunk has actually left the Royal Air Force? I was about to say, he's retired now. That's it, yep. Well, I, actually, Dunk, have you left yet? No. <laughs> have a shave. I'm ordering you. No, I'm on leave. What? Prove it. So, so, I'm, right, I'm going to get into check, JBA. Yeah, yeah, check, leave. And I won't be shaving. Thank you for asking. You sure you aren't AWOL? <laughs> How's your responding? You, <laughs> All right, well, do your worst. <laughs> so, yeah, you've, you've actually retired. To... Well, I, yes, I had my last working day was last Thursday, and uh, we had just a couple of light ales just to celebrate, and uh, my good mates, uh, Parky and Goddard, both pitched up, which was uh, fantastic. And we had uh, – it was a, a, a really good evening from what I remember of it. Um, and I'm just sorry you couldn't make it, JB. Yes, uh, yeah, I should have really made the effort to go you should west, be, yeah, west yeah. to east, but anyway, I just couldn't do it. Uh, what, what can I say? The rail links are terrible. It's because you don't have an airlander. If you'd have one of them – You'd have made it. Oh, don't talk to me about the Airlander. Do you know they've made their second mock-up cabin this week? All right, I'm on the case. We'll get there. Yeah, but if you had an Airlander, wouldn't it be sort of, well, where's JB? Well, he's still on the way. It's a bit like the, uh, you know, the Austin <laughs> Power steamroller. Well, it was going to be... Where, <laughs> I'm, I'm nearly there. 
we'd have had the beers on the airlander. Exactly. Uh, that would be good. Where's JB? He's on his airlander taking a Harrier is, I think, what you'd actually say. <laughs> That's good. He's very bad. It's taken him a year, but he's straight in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, that was good. And, of course, there is Goddess. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, considering I don't hear the sound of Merlins that often these days and uh, generally get on trains, go to the office and come back again. So I tell you what, the most goddess thing which I which I have seen in a, in a long time is I was in corporate at uh, HSBC Sevens, you know, the, 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 the big Sevens tournament down in, down in Twickenham, which they do every year, full of corporates. And goddess was there. And I thought, this is exactly what he does now. It, it could be, it could not be more... More Godfrey than to go to a corporate sevens event. So yeah, that was that, 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 that was lovely to catch up with you, mate. I don't think Goddard is an air commodore. He is a professional freeloader. He's a, he's, well, he's a networker. He's a networker. Now, 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 JB, how did I get a corporate? Well, you know, I, I might have been chatting to Brian Habana. He might have, you know, intruded on the conversation. But yeah, you 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 know, you went in there. You networked. You know, clearly not your first co- corporate hospitality gig. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but normally to get in, normally to get into corporate, he has to do something very different than Brian Habana. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not my first rodeo. <laughs> so you've been back and forth to the states to be to the states, right? Yeah, but, uh, went out there a few weeks back, and uh, I'm back out again next week. And last time was really interesting. It was in a place in Suffolk, in Virginia. Uh, Lockheed Martin have a uh, a place called the Lighthouse, which is a big facility, enormous rooms lots of chairs huge great screens you can pretend you're running a wall um and we went out there with the uh the carrier strike group strange description oh, sorry what did you so a huge great room lots of chairs yeah like like a For wedding hall <laughs> like a church it's just amusing but, uh, well i suppose i didn't explain that quite well but they had some quite good mood lighting in there yeah. um enormous screens and machines that go ping. Ah. And you were out there with, with, what did you say, the carrier strike group? Yeah, the carrier strike group um, battle staff. So they're, they're the people that, uh, uh, that fight the carrier. Um, so there's a, a, a one star that sits on the carrier and um, he's in charge of the whole carrier strike group. Now, um, carrier strike group, so is, they were, is that you? Carrier strike uh, group, is, is that name for all of the ships or is that a different name for the tailored air group? The tag. Uh, well, so the a collection of ships as a, a battle group, if you like, is called a, an MTG, a maritime tug group. But as soon as you stick the carrier in the middle of it, it now becomes a carrier strike group. Oh, um, wow. And, yeah, and a tailored air group is uh, specific to a particular mission and is the air group that you would then put on the carrier. They, they, there you go. Excellent stuff. And you're back out there this week, presumably for the same sort of thing? Uh, yeah, this week's more uh, administrative. So the other week was um, lots of discussions and lots of scenarios because we're integrating uh, the U.S. Marine Corps and it the other week. But uh, the U.S. Marine Corps are coming along with us in 2021, and the uh, uh, and that was um, you know running through a ton of scenarios, lots of lessons, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and this next week is some big meetings with some big three stars. I'll bring my best here. Very lots nice. So just on that, then, um, I mean, obviously. The Marines operate their own uh, amphibious uh, uh, assault ships. They're all flat tops, blah, blah, blah. But the Queen Elizabeth is a lot bigger. Hang on, JB. Hang on, mate. Hang on. There must be a better name for a collective of ships. It can't be just – it just sounds too dull. It must be like 
a cluster of ships or a there must be some derogatory term a cluster a, uh, <laughs> i mean a derogatory collective yeah. noun like yeah a, like a Yes. Well done, Jason. That's good. He's on okay. form tonight, was, isn't he? He is. He's absolutely on fire. I was trying to think of a non-rude one, because if we say a rude word, Can't say anything the rude. door goes mental. Yeah, I've got to go That's back right. and it's edit it active. out. I can still charge you, Mason. Watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so are the, are the US Marines quite excited about operating off our carrier? Because it's a little bit different to the th- ships that they operate off. Yes. Mainly because it's got a bar. Oh, of course, because they're all dry, aren't they? Yeah, don't go, uh, yes. Um, that is a, a point of discussion. Um, we might have to go dry. But um, the, yeah, the so they are Navy excited. Ne- back the, Royal Navy will never, the Royal Navy Royal Navy will never warrant that, will they? The fleet air arm will not deploy if there's no bar on board. (laughs) (laughs) That is an essential requirement. Well, it used to be because how difficult it was landing on a little one of those tiny little carriers at night. It's a lot easier now. Plus, you just press the button in F-35. Yeah, dead easy. The the landing, not the bar thing. There isn't a little (laughs) lever that comes out with a glass of champagne. (laughs) That'd be good. Well, I think that's. Uh, I well, I actually think that um, that Goddess's cooperation with the Americans leads leads us honestly. Uh, because Parky, what have you been doing today, mate? Yeah, I've been to Normandy in a Spitfire. Were you displaying the Spitfire for um, num for number forty five, President Trump? No, I think he's there tomorrow. It's Super Day. We. Uh... Air Legends took their Dakota over and wow. they've done nine drops. So today's all about that, really. Oh. That, you know, that uh, Karen Tan and that Nikan Stanivell. I think we did that one, Dunk. There was shades of uh, when Dunk and I went five years ago in terms of the weather was miserable yesterday. So we had to slip like we did five years ago, go on the day. And uh, yeah, so we did. Uh, we sort of escorted with two Spitfires the Dakota when they did a, a para drop at uh, Caratan, which was great. And then we went to Com, uh, and then we weren't allowed. The Spitfires weren't allowed for some bureaucratic reason to do the drop at Sanibale, uh, and it was getting a bit late anyway. So we then charged back to Sywell. But we did a. I think we made the BBC certainly local news on the trip from. Um, uh, Cherbourg down to, to Con. It was really cool. We sort of flew along the coast, so right over, you know, all the beaches, which was brilliant. And, you know, the whole day was just, you know, just top. Really, really, really cool. Now, did you read on Twitter earlier on today, it's probably made the main news as well, a gentleman parachuted, probably out of a Dakota. Was it your Dakota? Yeah. So he was, as we landed... He was getting on board. I mean, it is just amazing the turn time. The DAC is Dragamoot is the Aero Legends DAC, and I think it's done nine drops today. So, you know, there's just 20 boys all in the American gear just queuing up to get on. And, you know, sometimes they just keep the engines going. New boys get in. You know, they just turn around, go to a different side. And, you know, and, and out they go. So, I mean, it was just brilliant from the spit watching... You know, the, the stick of sort of, I think we did two sticks of 10 just came out. And, uh, you know, just, just brilliant. And just the, 
the amount of lines that are dangling out the back of the DAC after they've gone, they have to hike them all in, then they sort of went around and did another drop. So and I, uh, I don't I'd just, say that the thing that really drove it home was the, uh, you know, we sort of went in, the DAC's good for about uh, about sort of 140 knots, 150 knots. But when they're dropping, and I don't know if this would have been, you know, back in the day, 75 years ago, might well have been, but they slow to 90. So it is, you know, they were so vulnerable at a thousand feet, 90 knots, straight and level. That's and then- certainly what, uh, that's what, uh, you know, if so, uh, Stephen E. Ambrose's book talks about that and you talk about Carantan, that's, um, again, he, he actually wrote Band of Brothers. And I think Carantan was the one of the towns that is the 501st, was it 501st or, or, or 101st Airborne? That, okay. uh, that went in 101st wasn't it 101st yeah and um, but uh, yeah they were talking about yeah it's flaps down and they slowed right down and I, th- th- I remember a particular story that I'd read that they jumped early so they didn't make the drop zone they jumped early because they thought we're not staying in here because we're going to get smashed up and they could see you know Dakota's being shot out of the sky because they'd all slowed down they were sitting ducks yeah well, really slow and yeah. they're not not very high and and it was one of those you know if you jump too high then because you go down but if you know how vulnerable the aircraft would be when you know before it ran its low and just you know that that just brought it home to me and then as they all jumped out sort of looking at them we we literally did a sort of a racetrack so you're now looking at the drop site and i could see the great big t in the field where the uh where the boys were going to be landing and they all landed really close but from the air there's 10 shoots in the air and they've just dropped and I could not see them. The camouflage of the shooters was brilliant. And you almost had to focus, you know, not on the ground. And it's like, oh, there they all are sort of floating down. But it, it was it, just really great memories of just what those boys did. You know, brave, brave boys. What yeah. a fantastic thing to be involved in, Parco. I mean, it's uh, it's it's brilliant that you're you're still doing that and still involved in it. I caught. Um, I'm gonna. I've got it. It's all on iPlayer, isn't it? The um, the 75th celebration. But I watched about three quarters of an hour, and I had to forcibly drag myself away because I had an appointment. But it was just stunning listening to some of the stories of the veterans and just the opening. Um, of the the events down in uh, Portsmouth today, um, just some of the veterans, and all they did was went the first one. Did you see it? The first one, he went D Day. That's what he described it as, <laughs> and it went on. The, you know, just a bunch of boys either just shaking their head, and and then it, it started with the the stories and the tales of uh, of what they did and how they did it. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, it's, there's another hour and a half of it that i've uh, that I, i've got to watch so i'm looking forward it's, to it, it. it's interesting isn't it because there were so many it's a bit like uh we'll come on to it later but the uh the big show uh klosterman pierre klosterman where you read his book and you think absolutely everyone encountered ridiculous like ridiculous um uh, you know enemy activity fog walks you know all this sort of stuff yet you speak to a lot of vets in the air world and they didn't see any of that. You know, remember Tony Cooper had, had very rare encounters uh, with the, uh, with the enemy uh, in the air, despite, uh, you know, having done a huge amount. In fact, and we need to mention Tony, don't we? Because he was in the first bar wave uh, yeah. on the morning of, uh, of the 6th of June. He was. But I, so I think, um, you know, and this isn't taking anything away from it because it is the most uh, of uh, saving private Ryan, 
But I think that's what everyone thinks that D-Day is like. And it's really good. I think that some of the stories come out that, um, you know, not just the infantrymen coming off the uh, uh, off the front of those um, uh uh, the landing craft, but all of the other people who were involved, I mean, literally from the weathermen through to the people building Mulberry Harbors, through to the commandos coming onto the beach afterwards and setting up landing areas and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that's the, I think that's a great thing about someone like today, that you, hit, you get to hear all of the stories rather than just, um, you know, no matter how ridiculously brave and frightening it must have been on the, uh, on the actual pitches, um, you know, everything else that went on. Yeah. Um, the, the struck me, I, 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 we flew on the coast. Uh, sort of heading east, and I guess we're flying along pretty much all the five, you know, landing beaches that there were, and they varied massively. When Duncan and I, five years ago, we flew, maybe I sort of on the wing, and I hadn't clocked this quite as much, but that stretch of beach, some of them are, are literally kind of sandy beaches, and then the town or the, the, the land behind is almost at the same level, and then a mile it's a sandy beach, but then there's quite a large hill where I guess the sort of emplacements were. And the variation in, you know, the, the sort of the, if the Germans were up on the hilltop, how difficult it must have been to take that beach compared to the one next door, if you know what I mean. And I think that's where it was, wasn't it? Was it Omaha or... or yeah, Utah? so... Um, a nightmare, but down the road, it was a piece of cake kind of thing. And Flying over it today, it really drove home to me like, wow, you wouldn't want to be on that beach. That beach must have been a nightmare to take because it was just you had to climb a sort of 200 foot cliff after the beach, whereas the next one was almost flat all the way inland. Yeah. We so uh, we went and did a, uh, I don't know, you must have done a battlefield tour there, Goddard's, have you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we did uh, my, my when we, JB just to explain, mm -hmm. you know, we sometimes go and do battlefield t tours as part of, uh, you know, we, we go and look at those the sites where those battles took place and try and look at the lessons that were learnt. And uh, so I went and spent five days uh, in Normandy, and uh, my we, we give a presentation, so you have to research into what's gone on and give a presentation. And my beach was Omaha Beach. Uh, by um, first 15 minutes was in the minibus because I just showed that first 15 minutes from David Private Private Ryan as the um, as the gate on the landing craft goes down, which is just the most incredible thing. And, and I was talking to someone about it the other day, and what, what's even more incredible is this idea, you know, that um, when they'd spoken to veterans that had been there, they said, yeah, that nearly got it right, you know, so... Even that wasn't what it was like. And that's pretty horrific. But the, as you say, Parky, the the when you go and stand on that beach, and you know, and you realise the tide was out, and it's a long way. I guess it's uh, two or three hundred metres. Then that you've got to make maybe more uh, up to the base of that cliff. And it took them a long, long time to even get to the base of the cliff. Um, but it, it is, as you say, that was just the most difficult and treacherous of places to come ashore at. Just incredible. Yeah. If you almost think maybe they, you know, just why go for that one? Why not just have landed more, you know, on the, on the easier piece, but I guess you couldn't, you know, I, I, that you had to take that whole strip of, of Normandy and, you know, to, to make it safe so that they could all dock, but it was a lottery, you know, some of them had it really brutal. Uh, yeah, I, I did a fly past a, uh, I think it was 2013, 
where um, it was uh, they were opening a memorial for. Uh, have you guys heard of Piper Bill Millen? Um, so he was the only Piper, and he wore a kilt on D-Day um, as they were coming up the beach because it was uh, it was Lord Loved um, who were. Uh, uh, had ordered him apparently pipers were illegal on the front line they had to be in the rear battle in the rear area and he said bugger it that's it that's english um you know military law we're both scottish and got this guy to play on the beach as these uh, as these guys were coming up the beach just flipping amazing and uh, I, I did a fly past over the top of this um uh, over them uh, unveiling the, the statue i think it was sword beach um, and same as you parker you know looking down thinking Flipping heck, you know, and and also relating it to we mentioned Tony Cooper. He was a a friend of ours died a couple of years ago, just shy of his hundred and first birthday. But he was in the first wave across on the morning of D Day, and actually in his logbook had a photo. So he'd taken a camera up with him, and he's got a photo across the wing of his Spitfire with the invasion stripes. And out in the distance, you you can see all the smoke coming up uh, from the beaches from the initial bombardments and, uh, you know, all the landing craft going towards it. Just amazing. Yeah. Just just answer me this. Did the Red Devils jump with you today, Parky? So... They... uh, So the the trip that I did was just... uh, was just a stick of 20 lads who jumped, but the one before was with the veteran. And I think that's what I'm thinking was, of. Yeah. They, they did the 6,000 foot, which was lucky actually, because kind of clouded over a bit. So they got that in at uh, probably about 12 o'clock, something like that. And I think he was strapped. I think it was a tandem that he was going to jump out of, but literally I was kind of jumping out of my spit and he was going on board and it was, you know, it was a conveyor belt. He he was brilliant. I saw him on the news this morning. Yeah, so they, just, they played it. Just fill us in a bit, Goddard, as to exactly what this story is and, and who this guy is, because I've yeah, I've not really explained it very well. Well, no, no, you did. It was um, so. This guy was a parachutist uh, who who went in um, to uh, Pegasus Bridge uh, seventy five years ago today. And um, I think he was only 20 years old at the time. You know, they showed the picture from back then. And, you know, I always think maybe it was living through a war, but I always think when you see a picture of a 20-year-old back then, they look often a lot older completely than agree. 20 years old. Yeah. And, um, and so he, bless him, he did it last year as well. But this year he was the Red Bulls and the, I can't remember the name, but it was the U.S. Army parachute display team. And he, he were, they, I left for work before I saw the actual... Uh, jump i guess maybe because they hadn't done it if they were doing it later on today but they'd done the pre-filming and the training that he was doing back with them they were up at netherhaven because he mm-hmm. had been at netherhaven or done one of his jumps they showed his old jump logbook and showed that he jumped there in uh, in 44 before um you know it, it then all kicked off but again an amazing old fella where he just had those parachute guys who are clearly enormously experienced guys um you know, when this guy was talking to them, and you could see the emotion in the in the um, the parachutist's eyes when they were talking about, you know, the being able to meet this guy and sort of connect to such a uh, such a momentous moment in history. Uh, have any of you guys done parachute jumps? Yeah, I have. Have you? Oh, yeah, it uh, did a couple to try and make me more interesting before I joined the RF. <laughs> interview well, which really annoyed me i'll tell you it's genuinely i think the scariest thing i was sort of like you know 17 and uh, didn't know any better but it just i, I really didn't enjoy jumping out of a plane God, I, I can't found the worse. Sound bit, 
is great. But the uh, the exit from the aircraft when your sort of legs are dangling out and you're looking at sheep in the field, <laughs> it's it miserable. And you're sort of bravado. You kind of throw yourself out. But so oh, I didn't like it. Just, just uh, was that a serious comment? You did to make yourself more interesting for the Air Force on your CV? Yeah, I kind of figured, you know, I was sort of going to apply, you know, to... I, I got my fly scholarship and I got off to Biggin Hill to, to join. I thought, ugh, haven't got much going for me. And I thought, if I'd done a parachute jump, it might be something interesting to say. And you I, were I quite perceptive, weren't you, at that age? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wished he'd done it. Yeah, do, do you know what? I love, the, I love the fact that we had a question from a listener not so long ago. The question was, uh, something along the lines of, what would you do to prepare yourself for the RAF? And, you know, he just shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, nothing really, nothing. Failing to mention he did a parachute jump to prepare himself for the RAF. <laughs> I, I can literally remember sort of you kind of had the interview and you you bang on a bit sort of stuff and oh, maybe that went okay and then it was like do you have any questions and I couldn't really think of anything so no no so that was it I left and as I closed the door I remember thinking oh no I forgot about a parachute and I almost <laughs> oh, by the way I uh, I did uh, oh bollocks and uh, that was it really yeah. Yeah. Where, where, did you, where did you do it Dunk? So uh, I did a uh, accelerated freefall parachute course at Netheravon. Is that because you are very streamlined in the facial area? <laughs> so it's because uh, it's because I accelerate quicker than anyone. <laughs> yeah. Actually, his rear behind weighs yeah. more than Ned. The, uh, <laughs> the the momentum makes the acceleration faster than the speeding bullet. Nine thousand feet per second per second. He needs a massive parachute. <laughs> Uh, so I was good at it. No, we went. Uh, so we went on this free fall. You've done free fall. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, and uh, you do. Um, so the first, the first time you go, I don't know how you found it, Parky, but uh, first time you go, you're on a static line, um, and if it, you don't really know what's going on. So we went up and jumped out of the plane, and it's fine, and uh, you know landed. It was all fine, but um, but then the weather got bad for a week. Big shoot. Extra big shoot for me, yeah. So the, the weather got bad for a week. So we didn't do anything for a week. And then suddenly we're back on again. And this particular day, so these were, these parachutes, you turn them into wind because they, they would go forward at 15 knots. Uh, and this was a 15-knot day. So clearly if you didn't turn it into wind... You would, mile an hour. you would be whizzing off at 30 miles an hour. Crikey. It doesn't sound a lot, but you're in a parachute. It is. Anyway, so the first, I'm going to sound sexist now, but this is absolutely true, <laughs> right? So the first oh, one, they said, right, we're going to put all the girls up on the first on the first uh, uh, aircraft. Why? What, as a sighter? I don't know. So anyway, we're all sat in our sticks waiting to go, and the, the plane takes off. And what of course, what because, aeroplane were you in? Uh, it was a... Um, uh, Islander. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, so anyway, so of course, because it's a 15 knot wind, they throw right in the overhead because ideally then you turn into wind and you come down, you know, with no drift at all because you've 15 knots into wind. So that's what they were doing. So this aeroplane climbs and climbs and it's not too high on the first one. It's only 2000 feet and it's in the overhead. And, uh, the first jumper comes out and, no kidding. This is what I heard. Ah! <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so we looked, right? You're supposed to come out, and it's a long time ago. You're supposed to come out, right? And then you check that your parachute, your, uh, the end parts of your parachute have inflated, and you're supposed to then wiggle your lines to inflate your, your end cells if, you know, if they haven't inflated. So she didn't do that, and she didn't turn into wind, and she poked off at this, and we could just hear this, ah, <laughs> receding into the distance. And that was it. So She's did, gone. Did, did you sit there doing nothing, or did you do the gallant thing, dive out like James Bond and do the, the, you know, turn yourself into a bullet shape and go and rescue? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we all sat there going, Oh, well, that has not gone very well for her. And uh, <laughs> and so anyway, so she arrives back about an hour later and she tells the story. She said, oh, my God. She said, I just didn't know what to do. Um, so I just did thing. So she said, when I, because I was going so fast and so far away, I just missed some power lines. I went over a river, oh. just missed the river came, and landed. Came down in the M25. No, I landed in this guy's back garden. Right. So I've now got this village visual image because if her landing was anything like her getting out of the aeroplane she'd have just been in a massive clatter of bits and she said um there so she said i landed and this guy this sort of old guy sort of just wandered out and said all right do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> so she had this clatter of bits. So I've got this mental image of this guy, you know, drying up at his sink, looking out of his kitchen window when this clattering parachutist arrives in his garden and he just goes, she'll probably want a tea. <laughs> That's how British. He didn't get the pitchfork out and just was a German. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and God is... Um, uh, no, you, I haven't. I, I signed up for a um, what they call a jump. I'm surprised. Is, I, I would have thought that all of you guys have, would have had to have done it at one point. No, I, I signed up for this water jump, which is a. Uh, it's not even accelerated anything. I'm not sure there was much training at all because they just lob you at the back of a Hercules over Pool Harbour um, and let you float down into the sea. But uh, it got cancelled for weather, and, yeah. uh, and I've never had the uh, uh, the uh, desire to go parachuting ever again. No, I can't. Well, do you know what? So I, I, I digress. But the, the, you're right because after that week, I went up on this first jump, and actually, so as, as I said, sorry, the first jump was was fine just went out the second time this week later i guess because i had a week to think about it i was like if it hadn't been for peer pressure and there was another eight guys in the aeroplane i wouldn't have got out get in the door no get out and uh but because peer pressure was there it was like oh god anyway so for the next three jumps that that we did that day i was like oh, i really don't want to do this but once sort of but after that so after that um for jump that day it, it then sort of was like oh, this is great and uh you know we then sort of progressed up to i think it did about 20 seconds free fall in the end Oof, wow. No. wow thank you well, <laughs> JB, we Say that again, Parky. How many jumps did you do in the end? Oh, I think I did about 25 or 30. Whoa! Good. Yeah, yeah, really you're, good. You're, you're did, did an you experienced get parachutist. Uh, yeah, you get your, you know, yeah, you get your free fall. I don't know what they are. Not the because it's a sports one. It's not. It's oh, not okay. the ones that you. We had two paras in our. <laughs> this is another good story. So we had two para lads in our stick. They were really good lads, and um, so but you know we were sat around one day because there was no jumping. I was like, boys. Oh, in fact, it was a bit later on in the course because they seemed a little bit reticent, and they were. I was like, what? 
what do you not want to go parachuting and they went no i don't like it. i don't want to go parachuting i said why did you why did you volunteer for the course then <laughs> I said, and they said we we don't volunteer for this we're in the we're in the parachute regiment you get told we're going I wanted to do hill walking. <laughs> so he wanted to do hill walking. They sent him parachute. But I said, but surely, boys, you've parachuted before. And they said, no, just to get your para's wings. I, now, I can't remember exactly how many it is. We'll probably f- find out on the Twitter sphere. But it's something like three jumps to qualify. And it's just from, uh, I think it's out of a balloon. It's not. Yes, it, uh, no, but it, it is out of a balloon because I met a guy the other day from the RF regiment. He retired God knows how long ago. And he's got some uh, stupid amount of jumps, and it's just a, in a balloon. No, but isn't that balloon? I've heard loads of people say that that is the scariest thing you yeah. ever, ever, ever do. Yeah. Because they, they winch the balloon up, and you just step out of the door. But there's no wind noise. There's nothing. You are, you know, at least in an aeroplane, you're in an aeroplane. There's, you know, you've had the whole rigmarole of getting up. No, this is a straight up in the uh, in the balloon. Step out, fully silent. And so you would hear that <laughs> as the uh, as the parachute oh, goes. God, apparently no. an utter nightmare. Do, do you know but we have a? Gone. With that, you've got the green light, haven't you? And it's go. Whereas in a balloon, you can just go whenever you want, your own time. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. The, uh, no. You, what's interesting, JB, is that um, I mean, you know, Parky will know a few guys that have ejected, but. Dunk and I, it was almost everyone bar us in the late 90s in the, uh, <laughs> the Harrier. They were falling out of the skies, bloody lawn darts. And um, I guess because it is your full emergency procedure, a single person really ever talked about being in the chute. I think it was only Jesse, wasn't it, who had uh, an engine failure. He'd come back from Cyprus, so everyone bantered him that he'd actually run out of fuel. But it was downwind at Wittering, and it was a ridiculously windy day uh, for parachuting anyway. And uh, so the engine flamed out downwind. He ejected and he thought, I'm going to smash myself up because he was doing about 100 miles an hour down the, uh, you know, on the end of this parachute, uh, but ended up landing in a tree. So completely got away with it, Oof. you know, and. and um, oh, you uh, mean like he was being blown along. So like ground speed. Yeah. yeah. So, but before he hit the, yeah, in, exactly that in ground speed, but. But the parachute got tangled up in a tree, so he then managed to uh, to let himself down. But, oh, genu- but, but generally, most of the guys who talk about it, if not all of the guys talk about it, talk about the initial what it's like pulling the handle, and you uh, you know one of the guys headbutted his watch. You know they get marks from their knees and that sort of stuff if you're not sitting up properly. Um, no one really talks about the shoot and uh, um, and what your first parachute jump is like. No, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the reason I was going to bring that up is because can you imagine doing anything harder than having to climb out of a Spitfire or open the hatch on a Lancaster and then jump out that way? What, though? I bet you if that thing's, you know, on fire, I bet you it's not hard at all. I bet you're out in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I, I did read a... Um, Em Rickards was at uh, Dunk's uh, leaving due the other day and she'd, for her MA, MA had written... Um, uh, really interesting. It's, it's only a reasonably short essay on combat stress in pilots in uh, World War One and World War Two, and there was—I can't remember the percentages—but there was more combat stress involved as a bomber crew than a uh, than a fighter crew. And th- there's a lot to do with the fact that they're not in control on the back of the airplane. Mm. But it was that constant going across on the bombing raids 
you talked about it right at the beginning with the, you know, Dakota at 90 knots, possibly going through flak and 88s and all of that sort of stuff. But um, they lived in absolute terror the whole time of becoming a flamer. So exactly that, you know, the thing sort of spiraling down and, you know, talk about people carrying sidearms that they could possibly shoot themselves on the way down if it came to that rather than burn to death in an airplane. I mean, just horrendous. Some of the stories that came out. Mm. Um, but the, uh, the and it, it is a she's written it really, really well um, as part of the, the staff college um, uh, essay, especially as um, and there's a lot of quotes from different uh, different places, with the bottom line being that every single person suffered combat stress of some kind um, in those wars, you know, including the, the the super races, you know, Albert Ball or whatever, who, um, you know, didn't seem to be. But actually, when you read their autobiographies, there are certain things they say. And Jeffrey Wellams himself, you know, um, even writing this sort of stuff, but having looked at his diary when he wrote it, um, the war practically did him in, if not actually did him in. Yeah. Well, do, do you remember reading the Winkle Brown book? Does anyone actually remember that? It, yeah. Oh, do you remember how they would get out of the Dornier Do three three five? Yeah, yeah, like the, uh, the arrow wasn't it the field or something, and it was. Yeah, they had. Yeah, that had a very primitive ejection. Yeah, they, they found all those armless corpses, and it was the, the boys were you know it was just they were holding on to whatever you had to sort of jettison canopy and do something, and then. The seat would suddenly go bang, and they were still holding on to something. Oh, is that why it was? I assumed it was because they were getting caught up in the rear, in the rear propeller. No, so the, it was a weird. No, it was uh, it was just in the prop, wasn't it? It was something bizarrely complicated. Yeah, it you was, had five switches, and you had to flick five switches before you came out, and like one in the propeller, one to do something else, one to blow the canopy, and then you go up. Oh, and that's why they yeah. had no arms. I always thought it was, it was the propeller. No, no. It, it was <laughs> without being without being too. The whole system was flawed, and you were ending up still holding on to something as this thing <laughs> fired you out at sort of thirty G or something. Yeah, right. Without being too comedic, comedically macabre, uh, JB flipping it. You'd have to be lucky as you went through the propeller for it to just. <laughs> 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 That's a good Walking point. away from it going, oh, I was lucky. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I lost it then. <laughs> I had a mental image. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, you yeah, you would be very lucky. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hate going back to Goddess's point. Uh, M listens to the podcast. We shout out to M. Hi, yeah, M. Good girl. Yeah. Hi, two Squadron. <laughs> She's about to take over Commander Two Squadron. Excellent. Well, um, why don't we progress this on a bit? I mean, does um, is anyone familiar with the actual air operations during D-Day? Well, a little well, bit. Only that it was just a extraordinarily large amount of aircraft. The missions that were flown, it was just thousands and thousands of of aircraft that you know were coordinated and flew. I mean, it just extraordinary. But what they did say, if I remember rightly, is there was very, very few German aircraft actually when the landings were taking place. Um, and there's, uh, because uh, MK356 shot down an ME109 on D-Day or D-Day plus one? I think it was D-Day plus one. Yeah. Yeah. That, for anyone who doesn't know, is the um, one of the Spitfires on the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. Um, Mark 9. Did you say 356? Yeah, yeah, Mark 9, yeah. 
Yeah, so, uh, but I, I, I think there was actually very few aircraft. But and again, Tony Cooper. So Tony Cooper was a, uh, a friend So uh, who we met actually through one of the cycle rides. He lived in Lowestoft and he came, to, uh, he came to see us when we finished this cycle ride. And we became friends for years and years until um, the point of his death uh, when he was just shy of his 101st birthday. But uh, he... Um, he he said that uh, I think it was him that said actually there was quite a lot of engagements but actually the air battle prior indeed meant that you know that's why it was so quiet on the day itself in terms of enemy uh, enemy aircraft and and they'd done all of that sort of hinting maneuvers you know the operations of deception bombing in the part of Calais region thinking that they were softening it up for an attack over there you know huge great bombing raids over that way I mean just. An enormous, enormous operation with, uh, you know, using German agents and double agents to sow false messages across the other side. Um, uh, all sorts of stuff in order to to clear out the air. Uh, Tony did talk about one thing, I remember, because uh, he came up to a dining out night at, um, at Coningsby. Uh, and we'd done an airland integration day. So there was a bunch of army guys, uh, I think, from... Um, uh, I can't remember which one. It was one of our divisions. And um, he uh, he talked about D-Day. So he talked about getting up early in the morning, it being cold, and so going flying with his pajamas on uh, underneath his uh, his um, uh, his blues that he was wearing. <clears throat> we talked about the fact that he, he took a photo. But then, you know, someone had asked, did you see any action? And he talked about being shot at by a hell of a lot of flak mainly by the Royal Navy, who were just opening up on anything that they could see, because at altitude, you weren't able to see the invasion stripes, and you obviously had gunners on a hair trigger. And at the end, there was someone who said, you know, what was your what was your greatest lesson about doing, a, 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 you know, from, from that period in life? And he said, don't go to war with the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't, didn't, um, didn't Pierre Clothier, uh, Klosterman have the same problem. He they they were getting shot at an awful lot by their own side. I, I think that was a a, um, a problem, you know, in in whatever theatre of war in World War Two, and at, at whatever point, I think um, uh, they talk about uh, Douglas Bader. Actually, w- w- the they think that it, he was actually shot down by an, a, an American in the end who just misidentified his aircraft. Really? Yeah. Oof. So, uh, so I think it was it was pretty common then. I mean, now we we see it as you know it's the the sin of sins in, in military operations. But uh, I think uh, well, it happened a, a, a huge amount of times. Well, yeah, early doors from Blenheim's got shot down, didn't they, by some fighters? That, you know, the boys thought. Were... Yeah, that's one of the first engagements, wasn't it? Yeah, the Second World yeah, War. Yeah. Well, I'm. Well, I say in the middle. I'm. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of three. Of, of of three books at the moment, one of which is Pierre Pierre Crossman's Big Show. Thank you very much to the listener that pointed out that this is finally available on ebook. What a read! But also, you know, what a harrowing set of events. I've read so far three other books, all about fighters and Spitfires and so on and so forth, and they've and, and they've been brilliant. But this is a whole new world. Um, Pierre Crossman started on the spitfire and uh, so you know most of that i'd read kind of before but his experience in in in, in, um, in the tempest frankly sounded absolutely horrendous yeah 
Typhoon or Tempest? He started with the Typhoon, because that's what you trained on, and then he went into the Tempest. Yeah, because uh, it's been a while since I read it, because didn't you have a horrendous experience on the Typhoon, just in the way that it flew? Yes. Uh, a, a better experience in the Tempest, although what he experienced in the Tempest was more to do with the post-D-Day um, raids that they were on doing the air-to-surface attacks under uh, in heavily defended airfields. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, so he, he went, Yeah, he went all the way, didn't he, from uh, you know uh, early doors in the war to he i think it was the first french guy that landed you know at one of the uh the strips in us i think this was a spitfire post d-day and he because he said he put his uh his kind of like equivalent of his number one uniform on and he you know he brought a sort of bottle of brandy to be back on french soil you know in, i guess sort of you know late june 44 he said it was miserable they were still getting shelled and they had to hide and it was all a bit of a a, a nightmare but he then fought all the way, you know, right up until the very, very end. Um, and then he was definitely, Typhoon probably was Tempest. What, what was his aircraft called? Le Grand Charles. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it, Le Grand Charles. I yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love the air- When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Where he does a final sort of trip in it, sort of takes it up, has a quick play with some clouds, and you know this aircraft that's kept him alive, and you know and that's it, and he sort of has to say goodbye to it, and it, it's quite moving, isn't it? But the, 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 there was one chapter right, kind of near the end, and, and they uh, it, along the lines that uh, it, it, they've got to go and uh, basically strafe a German base, and it turns out that it's where Hitler has got his sort of uber-fueled Heinkel that could conceivably take him to South Africa. And because of that, it is just ridiculously well defended. And I think some Mustangs or something should have gone in first, but they they don't go in. But essentially, I was talking to Emma about this, actually, when we were chatting um, Goddess, uh, you know, at Dunkston. But eight of them, they come out of the sun in line of breast to do one pass at about 450 knots over the field. He lines up on a row of jets, sort of arados or something, and strafes them. And he said it, it takes about 30 seconds for them to fly over this airfield, 
all strafing. They then pull up and run away. And eight go in and only two come out. Is that the one where one of them crashes into a guard tower? Yep. And he said it's just carnage. He hunkers down. He just strafes a line of jets in front of him. And literally there were aircraft with their wings ripped off, you know, barrel rolling round in fireball. And in 30 seconds, 75% of them are killed. Yeah. Well, because... JB and I were, were chatting uh, yesterday about uh, about this book and uh, and how Klosterman writes, and I think what what he had what what that book did for me was just um, really graphically visualise the terror of what it was doing. He, I thought Klosterman did. He didn't. There was no bravado in him. There was no. He wasn't trying to blow his own trumpet in any way. And you know, reading book. What he conveyed was the the fact that it was just simply terrifying every time they were going up. They were losing such numbers in these ground attack missions. Uh, and um, I, I think it was just a brilliant book for that reason. Mm-hmm. It really um, it really put that put that message across. And I think although he didn't say it, you know, the bravery of. All of those guys, particularly him, having been there and done it for such a long time, was that even though it was terrifying, he was still getting in the aeroplane and still doing it again, death to death. Yeah, and they were, were they were like four sorties a day. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think it's pretty standard. That was, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, not kind of. Because as I under, as I understood it, one of the squadrons not to get destroyed. Uh, there was um, oh god, it's it is it's escaping me now. But some massed Luftwaffe um, Luftwaffe in nineteen forty four, and it took down an awful lot of ground of grounded grounded aircraft. They happened to be on one of the bases the, uh, that wasn't. It was JB, it was the first of January forty five. Was think. it forty five? It was literally it was New Year's Day. It was something like that, and it was a final final push. And actually, it ended up, you know, they, they definitely destroyed a lot of Allied aircraft on the ground and kind of caught them by surprise a bit. They lost. The Luftwaffe actually still, because they were, you know, on their knees at the time, and it actually broke the Luftwaffe's back. They lost so many aircraft doing it that, you know, the, the Allies, we could just, by that stage, we were churning out aircraft so well that they could reinforce. Within a couple of weeks, they were straight back. To strength and the Luftwaffe never recovered. Well, the inter- I mean, the two things which which I took, took took away from it was one, I had no idea that the Luftwaffe were still fighting as hard and in them that they were that late in late late into the war. I found that fascinating because I I didn't know. Um, apparently, all of their factories were in caves or underground or or or, or some such yeah. thing. Um, and the other one as well was the uh, the horrible situation the Tempest pilots found themselves in. Which is a superb aircraft loads to the ground, get a bit higher, and then they started to get outturned. But if you keep loads to the ground, you then get shot up by shot up by flak. So they've got this horrible deal to do. We've got to work out exactly where to be to be to be safest. I don't think anywhere was safe, was it? No, that's a that is a fair point. <laughs> yeah, uh, quite some book. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why we recommended it. I mean, you know, a comp- as you say, JB, a completely different read to some of the sort of aerial battles um, ones that are out there. Did you say, are you reading another couple at the moment? Yeah, well? uh, one is uh, Anne Tannenbaum, uh, uh, how Eastern Europe became communist, and another one, I can't remember who who, who wrote it, but it's basically about the uh, the Royal Navy's Pacific fleet. 
1945. Wow. Is this because you finished Wikipedia? Yeah, I finished uh, uh, Wikipedia. I'm back to standard book. Am I right in thinking there is a Tempest somewhere in the UK which they hope to get flying? Uh, I didn't know this. Yeah. yeah, Is it a typhoon? I think. It's typhoon. Yeah. Yeah, typhoon. That was a BBMF uh, for a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. So why could BBMF not get in the air? Well, because, so, it doesn't have the, well, you know, BBMF previously has got a Spitfire. There's a story that, um, uh, and I can't remember exactly when it was, it was, I think, in the 90s. So there were two Spitfires that would go around with the Royal Air Force uh, demonstration flight, mm-hmm. and they would just put them on lorries, they'd, they'd build off effectively, and then they'd put them on a lorry, drive them somewhere, and then rebuild them again, and then they'd be an air show with a Spitfire there as a static uh, static display. And then these got retired, and they said, well, can you send them to BBMF to see if, um, you know, see if they need any parts, because maybe they need some parts from it. So these two aeroplanes went to BBMF, and who had been on uh, BBMF, well, he, when I left, he'd been on for at least 25 years, 25 years plus at that point. He said, I, I reckon we can get one of these flying. Um, and so they, um, they, they nicked all the bits off the other Spitfire. Um, and they they started putting it together, um, and so it was a, a labour of love. They just did it in tea breaks and lunch times, and they they just started, you know, putting this this Spitfire together, um, and then they started getting parts for for it. And uh, the story goes that I can't remember which air marshal it was at the time, but there was an air marshal came by and said, well, "What's this?" Um, and they said, "Oh, it's a Spitfire we're restoring." And actually, th- those Spitfires were supposed to be sold. You know, and the air marshal <laughs> said, "But well, these are supposed to be being sold." It's like, ah, well. Anyway, so apparently a, a, a bollocking came down, but then a but very well done carry on, and then it got funded. So rather than them just scraping by, the the, the airplane got funded, and they and they built that aircraft. Um, now the uh, but there isn't really the manpower or the spare parts just go right well we'll restore a typhoon somewhere like um arco so the aircraft restoration company down at duxford well that's a company that is specifically set up and i guess if they had the opportunity they could make the jigs that were required for this for the parts because they're set up for that but bbmf isn't i see do you know what? i can't help but feel that there is a role for 3d printing in order to get some of these planes back in the sky. Yeah, I got well. I don't. I don't know enough about it. But, well, it's just uh, about prototyping, I guess. But so there'll be someone listening to it who's a, a lot more than I do, who who will be laughing at me now. But what does it print in? Whatever you want. Metal. Does it? So you can print off a metal part. No. Pretty sure you can. 3D printers. No, I don't think 3D printers work like that. We're the, well outside our comfort zone. Yeah, we are. Uh, hang on. Know. But is it, not, is it not the fact that they can print something in plastic? Plastic Spitfire. No, but can't they print yeah. something off in plastic, you know, if you want the metal mould? That's the yeah, sort of the point. Exactly, it's exactly that. And, uh, you know, the US Marine Corps actually 3D printed a part on one of their ships for an F-5. Ah, there you go. Um, see? See? Um, uh, clearly highly classified I can't tell you I have to kill everyone who listens to this Yuri says uh, thanks but, yeah it was the cup holder the one that gives the booze out except it's not booze <laughs> but, um, 
But no, I'm with you, JB. There's a uh, there's a brilliant YouTube channel now that I'm a drone nerd um, called Flight Test. Have you oh, ever seen that? Oh God, um, here we go. Yes. If you, in fact, I posted a link on our little WhatsApp group, didn't I? Did anyone watch that? I I reluctantly did. God is. I, I've got to say, I wasn't as enthralled about it as you were. Well, anyway, so that was they were an A10 with a gun in the front. Um, uh, but on on a couple of their episodes, they've got a 3D printer in a little area where they print out stuff and use that in their, uh, you know, in building their little drone things, whatever's next, uh, a star or X-wing or or whatever they're trying to. They find. do build some cool things. To be fair, it, it is quite it, it is quite 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 impressive. The reluctant drone nerd as well. I, I, I personally, I prefer Robot Wars. Hey, no, actually, we'll we'll talk about that another time. Um, right. Um, do we have some questions, Godders? We do. Uh, before, we, we've got a... before we do, can I just say one final thing about uh, D-Day? Yes, of course. The, um, yeah. Because when I landed at, uh, at Sherbrooke today, it was just full. So many Americans were there, which was really cool to see. You know, like just. Hundreds, amazing bits and bobs. But a little thing that might make Dunk laugh is just, we have similar moments with Dunk, but we were going to, the, the, the Dakotas doing loads of drops. So we, we had a sort of two o'clock on, on uh, drop for the sort of, it's probably the fourth drop for the Dakota. But because it was having to do another drop, it was sort of slipping a bit. So we tried to get a message and the two o'clock drop, it was a Dakota with the two Spitfires, but behind it was uh, a formation of four, American C-130s and four Ospreys, and they were then going to do some dropping as well, which is pretty cool mm. uh, at Carantan. But it was going to be so tight, so we were essentially trying to get a message to the Americans for a 30-minute slip. And we thought that had been passed, and we we sort of wandered in, got a quick coffee at the terminal, having a quick chat about it, and then sort of got a message, oh, uh, Spitfire boys, you, you kind of wanted. Uh, so we, we wandered out from the terminal towards the Spitfires and sort of Charlie and I sort of looked to our right and there was this beautiful formation of Hercules and Ospreys flying over the airfield and it sort of dawned on us in about that sort of five seconds that's the formation we're meant to be flying with (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the slip has been passed particularly and it was like and Charlie came out with this sort of classic did you scramble no he literally just went don't run. I was like, okay. So we just walked very, very quickly to our Spitfires, and it was just brilliant. The what, well, like crazy. formation walking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taking this whole circle. Did you look like? Did you look like the comedy fast walk they do in the Olympics? <laughs> yeah. no, we, you know, in my mind, we looked completely cool and calm, but yeah, clearly we did. And uh, but just you know, just jumped in, cranked up, and actually we took off. And these boys were just holding for about the sort of fifteen minutes, joined and did it, but. The, the the American presence there, you can tell it, it means a lot, you know, to it, this place was just swarming with those boys, you know, proud as punch about it all. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, when you go and see those cemeteries, it is uh, unbelievable. I mean, if anyone's listening, it, it is worth a tour to the Normandy coast if you haven't been just to, uh, you know, Dunk talked about it earlier, get a guided tour. And, um, uh, you know, you just, you can't imagine, you cannot imagine what it had, uh, what it's been like. In fact, I just... It's really sad, actually. I just looked up. There was a um, uh, it was a little old fella when uh, was it? Bournemouth Air Show with a BBNF a few years ago came up to me, Stan, Stan Hartill. And um, he uh, he had been a, 
I think it was 609 Squadron. He was the, uh, a ground crew during the Battle of Britain and then ended up coming up the beach as a sort of commando ground crew on the 7th of, uh, of June um, with jerry cans strapped to him, all that sort of stuff, you know, to go and prepare the ground for the first airfield in northern France. They sort of, you know, made out of the nearest fields that they found. And that was, um, uh, oh, wing leader. Come on, who was it? Um, who wrote the book, Wing Leader? Johnny Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, Johnny Johnson then led the wing in onto this uh, airfield that Stan and his mates had built, and Stan was there to then go and turn the jet, jets, turn the airplanes for the first time. Um, in fact, I just I, I hadn't kept in touch with with uh, with Stan for the last couple of years, and just saw that he died last year just after the RF 100. So uh, R.O.P. Stan and. Uh, um, and Tony Cooper and everyone else that we knew that were, were involved. So flipping brilliant to see all the people who are still surviving today. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, let's do some questions. Questions then. Uh, let's have a look. Um, so this is from Daz at Daz Will 812. Currently on term two initial officer training at Cranwell. What's your team? Parachute jumps. Fondest? <laughs> yeah. Fondest <laughs> and not so fond memories of phase one. Well, Duncan, you and me were doing that together. What do we think? <laughs> well, uh, I did it. Yeah, I did it a number of times. Um, <laughs> so I've got some lovely memories. I, I have to say, so uh, yeah, this is this is cheese. But I, I guess actually, fondest memories was uh, you know, because I uh, went all the way through. So uh, uh, that that was it was fantastic. Just. Uh, we we shared a room, didn't we? And uh, went went the whole way through. God has clearly um, then as now did far better than me and graduated at least. I was sent back for remedial training. <laughs> I couldn't believe actually. What I did you do wrong? What. Well, so apparently I, it was a lack of officer qualities. I cannot believe it. What does that even I, mean? I don't know. They were Long hair. He, JB, he unfortunately listened to my advice of always be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, yeah, never ever do that, Dunk. Never do that. <laughs> well, I learned quickly and uh, went back. I actually then uh, I, w- I went back twelve weeks and then went up six weeks. So it was like I was all over the place. But um, so fondest memory, I think, um, was the face of the squadron commander. Uh, can you remember his, was his name Huggins got, uh, got us? Oh, yes, that was it. Squadron leader Huggins with his fake webbing. Yeah, so the squadron command. So I, now, I, as we just said, I, I got um, I got sent back for, <laughs> for lack of officer qualities. And, and one of the things was, it's very different now, but I had a, a huge head of hair. <laughs> I was... Fairly... Oh, it was voluptuous. Voluptuous? Can you have voluptuous hair? Well, yeah, go get the hair. No, it wasn't voluptuous. Was that you that was voluptuous then? <laughs> Still oh, am. He used to dress up nicely in the evenings when we were in that room. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what is fake Almost webbing? 30 years ago now. Hmm? What is fake webbing? I know what webbing is. What's fake fake webbing? Well, we... so it, we, we have to, um, to uh, you know, any of the... Uh, the runs that we do, you're dressed up in all your gear, you're carrying your webbing that you've actually your mess tins and ammunition and all that sort of stuff in. And we knew squadron leader Huggins, apologies if he is listening, <laughs> but he had foam in there. He had old sponges. That wasn't full of heavy stuff. He used to yeah, leap right. around. It was maybe full of helium, actually, the way he used to leap around in that stuff. 
Oh, well, clever. we used to go, um, because I'd been told, right, Dunk, you know, that your your officer quality is not quite how they should be. You know, your hair's too long and, you, you know, you're you're just a little bit of a wide boy, effectively. You drink too much. And you, we had a uh, our, our um, flight commander um, was a guy called Ian Francis. He was a tornado navigator and he's he was epic. And, and he um, I saw him up at Lossie. Did you? He yeah. actively injured us. To, uh, to, to drink. He was a good rugby playing lad. And, uh, he had cauliflower ears and uh, he actively encouraged us to drink beer. So he was brilliant. I'm not sure it was the right start for me. But, um, you know, anyway, so he was like, I, I had to go and have an interview with a squadron commander to tell me about my lack of officer qualities. And really, one of the things that had been focused on was my huge head of hair. So I shaved it all off. Uh, and um, so one of my my fondest memories of uh, of IOT is when he said, "Take your hat off, Mason." And I removed. It. And I heard later that uh, that his whole speech about my lack of uh, my deportment uh, was uh, was based around the fact that I had this long head of hair, and wow. it was all gone. So um, on his face was a belter. Didn't didn't you have uh, yeah, a um, a bit of a scare, Goddess, going through um going through flight school? Always had a scare. We, 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 we've mentioned this before. Scare, as in, didn't they? Uh, didn't they bring you Constantly in? Tell you to, to tell you to. She's always getting under the table. Brush up and all the rest of it. Slightest of noises, but the brave air commodore will hide himself no, somewhere no, safe. No, not me, Gav. Flight school. Flight school was all right. Uh, all I'm right. sure. I'll have to listen You're back to one of the now, other podcasts. JP, that's a panic room. <laughs> well, it was, you know what it is? It's post-traumatic stress disorder, having shared a bloody room with Mason. The noise that man makes in the bathroom. Well, I'll tell you a quick... I'll tell you a quick story about myself in school based on your tornado um, tornado guy, your, your rugby-playing tornado guy. I just got into sixth form, and put it mildly, I was not due to stay in that sixth form very long at all. Uh, boarding school, blah, blah, blah. And uh, just through complete luck of the draw, the headmaster's daughter had married a guy who worked on rigs. No teaching experience whatsoever, worked on oil rigs. And pure nepotism, he got put as my head of house uh, with responsibilities for sixth form. And after about two weeks of meeting him, he goes, right, I'll do you a deal, right? Um, you're going you're gonna to stay in school, but you've got to do exactly what I say. And the deal was this, which is I would work... Monday to Friday as hard as I could. But in return, he went to my parents and said, right, he's going to work Monday to, fri- Monday to Friday, but on Friday night you're going to give him spending money for Friday and Saturday to go into town. And that was the deal that, that was struck and got me, my, got me my A-levels. So thank you, Mr. Watson. <laughs> Look at that. That's good, isn't it? Isn't it? I was going to say, so my, uh, odd that you told that story, Dunk, because one of my overriding memories where I was more shocked than anything was when you came striding into the room with a massive grin on your face. It was when we were sharing a room at, uh, what was it, number one mess. And uh, I went, what? And you just had a massive grin and with a big flourish pulled off your beret. I went, look. And you went from that... <clears throat> massive hair which if anyone has ever seen the it's just possible you could save my life old school uh, yellow pages advert the bloke on it his hair was like that um to a complete number one full metal jacket buzz cut that's right well never grown back so i blame yeah, you exactly yeah 
Oh, I, I thought there was a better story that involves Dunk holding a pair, a, a shoe, standing in his pants. No, that was that was in Germany when we lived next door to each other. Oh, okay. That, was, that was when. No, it was me holding the shoe. It was. Um... This sounds bad. <laughs> right, I'm in my pants. God is. He's in his pants. Shoe. I'm holding a shoe. I'm also in my pants. No, it was. Uh... I, I, I rubbish with admin, and it was just on a on a fairly boozy weekend on a Sunday evening. I thought, oh, I didn't put up that picture I wanted to put up. So, admittedly, it was probably about half eleven on a Sunday evening, and um, uh, so I decided to put the picture up. And I didn't have a hammer, so the only thing I had was one of my shoes with the little metal blakeys on the bottom that you know make the clicky clacky sounds when you march. So I started banging this thing in, and a half-naked mason appears at the door going, with the vein out in his forehead, going, <laughs> going, what the bloody hell are you doing? And I know the feeling because it was the, the night before my combat-ready check. Um, you know, so it's a big night. I've got a big day the next day. I'm about to get combat-ready on my first squadron. Um, I'd had roughly the same thing, but it was a couple of the boys on uh, on my squadron, Rob and Gleevy, an impromptu night in the bar. And uh, my room was next to the door in this little block outside the mess in Germany. And uh, I remember them sort of, uh, 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 you know, a bit of laughing and, uh, you know, mucking about going on. And I heard him stumbling through the door. And then I heard a crash. Uh oh. And there was a pause, two, three. And they went, oh. And as they went, Oh, the fire alarm went off and the whole of the block were like, oh, Jesus. And so they then disappeared off into the bushes and all you could hear was bloody Prov and Gleevee giggling out of the bush and all of us gathered outside in our pants. Um, and me going, oh, I'm up in five hours for my combat ready check and you idiots, boozed up idiots, have just got me out of the, uh, out of bed. Nice. So a running theme. But I hope we've answered uh, the listener's question. Yeah, there you go, Parky. Any good, any good things? Yeah, we haven't got the. Yeah, no, I, I've deleted it from my memory. I don't think yeah. I ever did it, to be honest. But it's a good one from uh, In Savage, um, In Savage Photo. Often a regular questioner, um, but Warbird knows art. What would yours be? Oh, I think there's ones you. Well, uh, I I think we should choose each other's. <laughs> yeah, I think it's no, it's no good choosing your own. I should, uh, we should choose each other. But whether we can come up with something uh, on the spur of the moment, yes. I'd, I'd have a little. For me, actually, if I was choosing my own, it'd be a little, tiny little figure in the distance legging it, <laughs> <laughs> running the wrong way, looking yeah, over his shoulder. Dunk when he was on Central Flying School would be a sort of black. Nazi uniform with CFS <laughs> badge on it and a sort of nibby little stick. And a massive with. vein in his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking he was a very chill out guy. Yeah. We, we've, had, we've had that discussion about the worm, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you remember that, Jenny? No, I don't. Dunk under stress or in periods of extreme student inability. Uh, there's a vein in his Oh, forehead. I do know this. Yeah, it expands to the size of a normal man's arm. And, uh, <laughs> this is known as the worm. 
Well, I've never heard it called that before. That is the first. That is the first I've heard it called that. The worm. I thought they were talking about something else. We definitely told it to your face. What would Parkies be? Well, hang on a second. What actual artwork is out there? Uh, I mean, not so much these days, but back in the day, every every aircraft virtually had it. You know, individual artwork. I think you know the boys could. You know, if it was your aircraft, you could put some stuff on it. Did Tony have on on um, Peter Jim? Was there any art on that? No, it was just it was just his kids' names, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting Peter John. Yeah, I know, but there was no artwork on the front or anything like that. No, 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 so. Um, uh, because I mean, some but there's been a few on the BBMF one. The you know the bumblebees, the uh, um. Hurricane LF a while ago was, uh, uh, I mean, it had a bunch of swastikas on, didn't it? When it was the Polish one, it had the, uh, no, yeah, that was AB. Yeah, the Reaper, but then AB had the, uh, had the Donald Duck. Yeah. yeah. Ah. So I'm, I'm just looking at some now, and quite a lot of the Americans are basically just semi naked women, particularly on the bombers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why well, wouldn't I think you? I'd go for something like that, something fairly. No, I think you'd probably have a semi naked man, wouldn't you? Come on. Uh, lots of teeth. <laughs> teeth. Teeth seems to be fairly. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, that's because you can turn the um, turn the aeroplane into a massive shark, can't you? I mean, the, the A10s yeah. still do all of that. Ooh, yeah. There's an A10 here with a really cool one, like a skull. I like I that. Marky would be sort of something like Goofy, isn't Goofy Ginger? <laughs> so just sort of. Ginger. Yeah, is he? Or is that Pluto? Is it Pluto? It's kind of a ginger colour. Tell me, you say you can just you could basically put anything on the nose. Was there any reason for having like um, a checkered nose? Did that mean anything? Because I'm looking at loads here. There's like um, yellow and black checkers. Uh, I think there were squadron markings. Yeah, ah. it'd have to be a, a wizened little Pluto. Yeah, I think, all right. For, you know. for, for, <laughs> with perhaps just just lying by the side, just like a Botox injection, just like I, I didn't mention dropped. my my Nazi character had a big nose with big nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I want to do. that's right. So we're gonna have, oh, yeah. we're gonna have to oh, take he's, he's really going quite bald. <laughs> yeah, balding big nose now. <laughs> Um, right, here's one from Dad Goggles again. A, uh, uh, someone who is very kindly sends a question. Uh, oh, a serious bit to the beginning of this one. I think the second bit's quite funny. Um, how do your families cope with your job uh, and being away? Um, are you a cool dad if you're a fighter pilot or reality very different? It's a tricky uh, question. I, I say the last bit is <clears throat> utterly true. You know, th- there's nothing cool. Kids, all my kids went to air shows and they were just like, yeah, whatever. No, my, my kids have no idea. I've even flown an aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a friend in school called Gavin Wakefield, and uh, he used to lie about the the aircraft that his dad had flown. And to my knowledge, his dad isn't even even a pilot, but he claimed that uh, he was blown over by the jet exhaust of his dad's SR-71 once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah of course. No, if you're going to do it, JP, go big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I had I did a um, my son who flipping neck is eighteen now, but um, when uh, when he was about I think he was about three or four years old, we were living down in Bristol, 
And the primary school that he was at said, uh, Ooh, you know, Mr. Godfrey, could you come down and, and give a chat in, a, in assembly one day? I went, yeah, okay. So I, I brought a load of flying kit down. And <laughs> when I, uh, so I stood there right at the beginning and the, the head teacher introduced me and, and I said, um, uh, right. And I stood there in a flying suit and I said, uh, right, morning children. Um, what do people think I do? First one, bet. And the second one was uh, ambulance. Yeah, ambulance Anyway, uh, eventually I, I, I said, no, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a fighter pilot. And I said, <laughs> they moved <laughs> you out of the room. Get out. You yeah, love that. said, uh, <laughs> and, and I said, um, right. And I'm not the only Godfrey in the room. I said, uh, any other Godfrey's in there? And Zach, my son, just turned and looked round at everyone else in the room <laughs> and was waiting for someone to put a hand up before he went, ooh, me, and then remembered that actually he was a Godfrey as well. Uh, to, chip off the old block, eh? Yes. To, to be fair to kids. Did he, did he hide under a table? <laughs> <laughs> he was very scared. I mean, they probably have no idea what pilots were. They were completely befuddled by the whole, by the whole thing. Well, so that one was also. I don't think it's just kids, though. So, yeah. uh, I was driving round to. uh, We were staying at a hotel when I was on the Reds, and we'd been. So, it was in the seasons, I was wearing a red suit. We were driving back from the hotel and driving round to the back of the hotel to find the car park. And, uh, but it it was one of those ones that had a separate car park. And uh, I wound the window down to ask a fella. And before I even asked anything, he said, Are you here to fix the boiler? Like, uh, well, I can give it a go. I'm so embarrassed you just fixed the boiler. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a quick fit? Yeah. Hotel blew up the next day. I remember going to work once and I was in my, my flying suit and I heard my daughter say, Dad's in his fly, his, no, Dad's in his pilot onesie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a pilot onesie, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense if you don't know what, you, like, what you're in. They do look like, yeah, uh, Dunk, uh, Dunk is right. You, uh, you do look like you're about to fix the boiler or, or you're an engineer. Yeah. Um, I've got a question. Is it your own one? It is my else? own one. I know it's, and it's for listeners, but it is, it is my own one. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours the other day. and uh, Was it your handler? It, it, was, it was not Yuri, no. Um, <laughs> and it was about, um, it, it's actually about Spitfires. Um how on earth do you maintain a Spitfire to go up as many times as you guys go up every day, considering you've got very few spare parts and it's such old technology? Well, I mean, it's... Uh, you can get any of the bits. So, you know, you haven't got very few spare parts. The, uh, the spin I flew, it was sort of blowing a bit of a leak from the a bank which is the right hand cylinder so essentially the cylinder heads and where the pistons go up and down before it joins the, the sort of the block mm-hmm. and that got replaced in 24 hours we got a new one got it replaced uh you know and that is a fairly major bit wow. of the engine that was replaced in 24 hours so you get, you get any of the bits it costs a bit but you know the, the parts are there and equally they're, they're just r- remarkably robust although you know, i mean they're beautiful looking aircraft but they were designed to you know, like we mentioned today, you know, fly five, six times a day into small grass strips whilst being shot at, you know, and refuel, rearm and go again. You know, they are robust bits of war machinery. That's that's what they're designed to do. Excellent. I guess when you put it like that, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. Final question then. Um, 
from our mate Frog, Mark Welsh, at Flap62. Um, it is a good one from him for a change. If you knew, <laughs> if you'd know one thing at the beginning of BFTS, basic flying training, what would it be? Now, for me, it would be to turn left, not right, at the Gamston roundabout on my final nav test. <laughs> what was it? So, what was the question? If you, if, if you, you knew one thing at the beginning of BFTS, if you, you know, uh, what would it be? If you knew one thing, yeah, you know, if 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 I was going to tell you one, you know, bit of advice at the beginning before BFT. Ooh. <sighs> Is yours to turn left and not right? Left and not right at the Gamston roundabout on my final nav <laughs> test. I got away with it, though. Or I, I, it my, think, my, I think it, I, maybe I remember you, you I always used to get a bit tense landing, you know, just that itty-bitty bit before the wheels touch down. And, you know, just just relax and enjoy that bit more. You know, now it's just fine. But you got, I got a little bit tense and that just... Don't rush that bit. It's going to happen. The ground's going to touch. You know, don't don't get all tense and twitchy. Don't. Oh, yeah. So I've got like, bit like you know, you're about to pop the trim button off. You know, just relax. It's just going to be the ground. It'll all be fine. You know. That's I, a good point, Parky. So I, I think there's there's one like that for formation, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Which would be uh, right at the beginning. Someone tells you you're going to think you can't do formation. Don't grip the stick like you're trying to rip it out the floor. Just relax, and it'll all be all right. Yeah, but there was a there was a an instructor when I did EFT on chipmunks called Mark Bickervance. It's amazing. Sometimes I can't even remember my own name, and yet I can remember 25 years ago to his name. But um, so, and he would say, and it's it remains with with me to this day. So on the formation, what he said, right? What you will do is you will try and leave the imprint of your hand on the control column. Don't do that. Once you feel yourself tensing up, then just think bunnies and kittens. <laughs> That's what he'd say. And wiggle your fingers and toes and everything will be all right. <laughs> so if I, if, if I got your cockpit voice recorder from your ears on the Reds, would the whole thing be two bunnies and kittens? Bunnies and kittens. <laughs> and it would Smoke also on. Go. Bunnies and bunnies kittens. And kittens. kittens. If, if you had a voice recorder for every aeroplane I've ever been in, that's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go single seat because everyone was going, why does he keep saying bunny wins? Um, I can't think of any other stuff, really. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think you, you always just, try and listen to top tips, but then you just go through what you go through anyway. Well, you see, Frog must have a reason for asking that question. Clearly, something happened to him. Well, clearly, something happened to him, um, if you know. But um, clearly, something happened to him in BFT that he wished he'd known prior. Um, clearly, he did all right. But um, it, it would be interesting, Frog, uh, get on the, uh, on the Twitter sphere and tell us what your one thing was as well. Lovely jubbly. Well, there you go. Well done, so hope, boys. Hope, that was... Hopefully, I, I know you've got Love Island uh, to go and watch, JB, but uh, hopefully out by D-Day tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. I've got to give a quick shout-out, by the way. I flew a mate in the back of the Spitfire called Keith Chandler, and he has offered us, whenever we want to go to Lashers, which is just to the sort of southwest of Odium, we can go and fly gliders all day. Ooh. And he was a good boy. So there you go. That's to Keith. Yes. Fancy, fancy going solo in a glider, JB? Um, let's do Airlander first. We've got to do Airlander. 
<laughs> but it's another it's offer, isn't it? But yes, uh, on a serious note, I would I would love to take take, take that up. It's uh, yeah, it's a very very kind offer. In fact, on that shout out, so I do have to, I do have to give a shout out. I, I forgot last time to Lou Marsh, George Waller, uh, and Steve Milne, who uh, very uh, so Lou and Steve um, used to work with me up at Lossy Mouth, and uh, surprised me by saying they uh, they listened to the podcast um, and uh, and vaguely enjoyed it. Um, and uh, and George, uh, who's in the army, Army Air Corps, uh, who also surprised me in a meeting the other day at the end of this uh, very important meeting, um, said, "When's the next episode out?" So. Oh. Good on you, George. What, what, does George, what does George do in the Air Corps? Uh, flies helicopters. Excellent. What type? Yuri wants to know. <laughs> uh, I didn't ask him, actually. Um, we, did, we weren't talking about that sort of stuff. We were talking about integration with, uh, with F-35. Ah, for your, for, for your tag. Tailored Air Group. That's right. Look, we've gone full circle again. There full you go. circle. Hey, I just want to say, I just think, uh, so Parky, um, being involved again for you today must have been fantastic. I have to say, I watched the, um, I watched the operation on the, on the TV uh, and just uh, desperately wanted to be there, actually. And I, I could see all the people involved. And uh, that must have been a fantastic moment for you. So, uh, But I'm really pleased that, uh, that you're, you're still there and involved in it. And uh, I guess we will all be, uh, be thinking of that momentous day tomorrow. Yeah, well yeah, said. absolutely, Duncan. I must admit, when I flew over the beaches today, I, I remembered five years ago, you and me, when we took the 19 and the uh, 9 out and uh, the epic. I mean, we, we should do another one, but... That's, ridiculous time when we took over village because we had no accommodation when we stayed at con and that that whole you know three or four days when we celebrated the 70th and now doing the 75th it's uh it is bloody brilliant yeah good for you mate yeah, yeah and on, uh, and well done for actually making the effort and getting on the podcast today as well yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Parky, are you doing anything tomorrow are you flying tomorrow yeah, flying uh, six passengers out of Sywell. And then okay. you mentioned to Friday, but I think it's going to be an absolute miserable weather. So we're probably going to uh, we're probably going to have to scrub that bad boy. But not but nothing for D tomorrow. No, it, it's all the the uh, the Legends, um DAC that you know I banged on about today. It's flying some of the uh, American special forces and doing you know you talked about their their paraboys. But, the, you know, there's very – they can get the permissions because I think they're literally going to be jumping for the Predator. He's right. going to look up and, uh, and see the DAC. And, uh, you know, the Dakota Dragamooch, you know, she was a D-Day vet. You know, she, she towed gliders, and she also dropped at Arnhem. So, you wow. know, if ever you wanted to come and look at that, the, this, the, the bullet holes and the shrapnel and the damage that's still in, in Dakota. No, I def- I'd love to come down. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, really, really cool. Who's so, flying her? Yeah. Who's flying her, Parky? Uh, tomorrow we got some Dutch guys flying her. No, okay. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Thinking there's like, there's like forty Dakotas left flying, and some of them are actually still working. Yeah, they, they were flying a 20, 20 aircraft, twenty Dakotas. When when we took off from uh, Duxford, they've moved the grass strip. You know, it used to be in the middle of the grass, but because there were so many Dakotas there, the grass strip is right next to the hard. And you know, we sort of taxied back in through the line of Dakotas, and it is. It's bloody brilliant. You know, it's just, and that's nothing, you know, compared to what they launched, obviously, you know, 75 years ago. But even so, the, you know, the, just to watch 20 Dakotas fly overhead, you know, it, it's it's good. It's good that we celebrate it the right way. Excellent. Yeah. 
Right, well, let's leave it there, gents. Thank, um, thank you very much all. Uh, if you've enjoyed that, you can find us probably next month. We'll probably do one in two weeks or a month's time. But if you can't wait for that long, you can find us on Twitter at Pilot Episode Pod. And if you want to send us a question or just join in, in join in in the conversation, uh, give us a follow there. You can also download the podcast. You can subscribe uh, on iTunes or whatever you get your podcast from. So from oh, me, JB, I forgot. Oh, we've got an email now, mate. What? What yeah, is we've got this? An email. And uh, and and I blew it because we've been we've been asked to um, uh, we were sent a a logbook by email and I need to get that out so next podcast we'll do that but this was a, a podcast but yeah but there's a if you want to send questions um, I think it's uh, pilot episode pod gmail dot com well done mate excellent mm. well let's leave that tease tease there so. Um, yeah. Yeah, we will we will talk about that on our, our next episode. So from me, Dunk and Parky. Me, Dunk and Parky. And Goddard's. Sorry, got Goddard's. Got, got uh, we we see, see, <laughs> I'm taken. We will see you next time round. Goodbye. Cheers. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.